Hi there, and welcome to our online Bible study. Hi, my name is Adam Burton. I am the pastor at Central Baptist Church in Maysville, Kentucky. If you are watching this and you live in Maysville or are around Maysville, I would love to see you at one of our weekly worship services. We meet every Sunday morning at 1045 Sunday night at 6 o'clock, and then on Wednesday nights at 6.30, we have a prayer meeting. And so if you are in Maysville, I want to see you in person, not just through a camera online. If you're outside of Maysville, welcome to this study. I hope you still find it beneficial. Well, we are uh, working our way through the Bible in these online Bible studies. Uh, and uh, we are using a Bible study called the Gospel Project, where it, it starts in Genesis and goes to the book of Revelation, showing how all of Scripture points to Jesus. So we are in the book of Exodus right now, and our Bible study today is God Frees His People. If we were to distill this session down into one sentence, it's this, that the Lord is the one true God who frees his people by confronting those who oppose him and providing life for those who trust in him. You know, when we read the book of Exodus, we typically identify with the Israelites, and that is good and right. See, as the people of God in Christ, we should relate to the people of God in the Old Testament. But there is someone else in this account that we should also identify with. Someone who might surprise you. Pharaoh, who asked, who is the Lord and what authority does he have over me? The Oxford Dictionary's word of the year in 2016 was post-truth. It is telling that our society needed to create a word to embody humanity's perspective of the world. A world where objective facts have given way to emotions and personal beliefs in shaping public opinion. A world where absolute external authority is rejected. A world quite comfortable with Pharaoh's response to Moses. Yet, while most Christians reject the premise of post-truth, many of us live it out, at least to a degree, each day. On the outside, we dismiss such thinking, but... On the inside, we entertain it. If we're honest, most of us are pretty good with God, as long as He doesn't ask us to do what we don't want to do. But if He does, then we're prone to say, Who is the Lord, and what authority does He have over me? Think about this question here. What are some ways God's people question who God is and His authority over them? Well, they choose to sin. They choose to obey God, what God has commanded. They try to rationalize actions that are clearly contrary to God's word. In this session, we're going to look at as Moses confronts Pharaoh as part of God's mission to deliver the people of Israel from Egyptian bondage. So our first point tonight is this, that God frees his people by confronting false gods. God frees his people by confronting false gods. God sent Aaron to join Moses, and they went and assembled the elders of the Israelites and performed the signs God had given them. The people believed God had sent them, and they worshipped. Then Moses and Aaron took the Lord's message to Pharaoh, but he refused to let God's people go and made the people's work more difficult. This turn of events discouraged Moses and the Israelites, but God's rescue mission was far from over. Look at the book of Exodus here, chapter 7, verses 14 through 18. Exodus 7, 14 through 18. 
We read the word of the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this shall you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood." The fish of the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking the water from the Nile. Now through the ten plagues, beginning with turning the water of the Nile into blood, the Lord revealed the false gods of Egypt for what they were, and proved their inability to bring about fullness of life. At the same time, God established himself as the one true God, the only source of life and joy and peace. The first plague brought death to the Nile River, the lifeblood of Egyptian culture. Hapi was the god of the annual flood of the Nile, which sustained life in Egypt. But Hapi and the gods associated with the Nile were shown to be powerless before the plague that turned the water of the Nile River into blood. The ninth plague demonstrated God's power over Amen-Ri, the Egyptian god of the sun, who was represented by Pharaoh himself. With the lasting darkness, God was saying, Your God is a fraud. As the creator of all things, I created the sun. The sun answers to me. Think about this question. What are some lies and false beliefs present in the culture today? Well, we think of things like there is no God, or there are many paths to God. Some people are not worth my respect and attention. I have ultimate authority over my own life. Or you should follow your heart. Or I'll go to heaven if I'm a good person. Tonight, we got two essential doctrines. And the first one is this, that God is one. See, the Bible affirms that God is one, as seen in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, otherwise known as the Shema. In both the Old and New Testament times, the advocacy of monotheism, which is belief in one God, was contrary to the surrounding culture, where most cultures practiced polytheism, the belief in multiple gods, or henotheism, the worship of one God with the belief in multiple gods, the people of God knew, based upon God's self-revelation, that Yahweh, the Lord, is the only true God. Like he did with the Egyptian gods, through the plagues, God will reveal and expose our false gods for what they are. God, in his great love and mercy, reveals to us where we're chasing after things that are false, things that won't satisfy us. When that happens, when the word of God shows us how we put other gods before Jesus, then our brothers and sisters are loving enough to point out the idols in our lives. We have a choice to make. We can either repent and turn to Jesus in our return to Jesus, or like Pharaoh, we can continue in our sin, hardening our hearts toward God and his mercy. You know, we tend to think of mercy, the mercy of God solely as his kind and tender provision in our lives. But it is often the mercy of God that wounds us, that reveals where we have chosen to chase after the wrong gods. God's mercy is a wake-up call that is often less than pleasant. We have to recognize this for what it really is. 
it's not yet it, it's not yet his wrath for now it is his kindness calling you to repent think about this question what have you believed would provide you with comfort and contentment only discover it had failed you well, I mean, there's many things, all right? Sometimes we just got out of Christmas season. Maybe you think it's that Christmas gift or the perfect uh, spending it with your, your family at the holidays. Or, or maybe it is in our, our, our jobs that, that brings us comfort and commitment or in a, a hobby. All of those things can be good things, but they will fail you at some point. Our second point tonight is that God frees his people by providing a perfect sacrifice. God frees his people by providing a perfect sacrifice. God had unleashed a series of nine plagues, yet Pharaoh remained unmoved. The Israelites were still slaves, and their situation had actually gotten worse. Any hope they may have felt at first had surely evaporated. Only God could provide the exodus they needed, and that is exactly what he wanted them to understand. But God was not done. He would bring one more plague that would secure his people's freedom at last. We're going to read here Exodus chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, and verses 12 and 13. Exodus 12, verse 3. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and, in, and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on, the, and all, the, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt. Now, unlike the, the first nine plagues, the tenth plague would not be reversed, nor would the Jews be exempt from its judgment. Though the Egyptians were the oppressors and they worshipped idols, the Israelites were not blameless. They too were guilty of idol worship. There was only one way to escape. God prescribed a sacrifice, blood on the doorpost, and a meal. About midnight, the Lord brought judgment on every house in Egypt, both Jew and Egyptian. That night, every household either had a dead son or a dead lamb, one or the other. For those who placed their faith in God and took shelter under the blood of the lamb, the lamb got what the son deserved. The lamb was a substitute who paid the debt of generation paid the debt of judgment instead of the firstborn. Generations of Israelites would continue to celebrate the Passover meal, remembering the salvation the Lord had brought in Egypt. Here's another question for you to think about. How does the Passover connect faith and works? 
Well, believing in God's word means acting on it. Right? If the Israelites believed God's word but didn't act on it, they wouldn't be saved from judgment. Any other kind of works to try to preserve their firstborn sons would have failed. See, the Passover pictured a greater deliverance to come. God would one day send a greater spotless lamb, one who would introduce a greater Passover, one who would save the lives of not only the firstborn, but of all who find refuge under his blood. Centuries later, Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. They had celebrated the Passover meal many times before. They knew the routine, but this night's celebration would be different. Jesus took the bread and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Jesus took the cup and said, This cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. With these statements, Jesus reframed the meaning of the Passover. Jesus was saying, I am going to suffer to give you the ultimate freedom from the bondage of sin and the curse of death. He is the true meaning of the Passover. The Passover brought about the rescue from Egypt. But the Passover was about more than freedom from Egypt. It foreshadowed freedom from sin. The greater salvation could not be realized through the deaths of the lambs slaughtered that night in Egypt, but put together, this salvation was realized only through the death of Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's our other essential doctrine, Christ as sacrifice. There are several signs, symbols, and pointers in the Old Testament that foreshadowed Christ as being the sacrificial lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. However, unlike the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, whose sacrifices were unable to take away sin, Christ's sacrifice on the cross was able to permanently, once and for all, take away sins. Our last point today is that God frees his people by preserving life in the midst of judgment. God frees people, frees his people by preserving life in the midst of judgment. Some passages in scripture are difficult or troubling, but the more we press into those, these hard stories and difficult truths, the more we'll see just how beautiful and gracious our God is. This is what we encounter with the 10th plague. Let's look at Exodus chapter 12, verses 29 through 32. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians. All there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, be, be gone, and bless me also. So much of death and suffering is so difficult for us to make sense of. I mean, we know that God is good, he's kind and faithful. But there are times like this when it is difficult for us to reconcile God's character with his actions. So we must remember that God's thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. This is a reminder that God is God and we are not. 
Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to understand God's ways here. God invites us to step into the confusion and seek answers to our questions. That is why he has included passages like this one in Scripture. God knows that it is through our wrestling with who he is and what he has done that we will come to know him better and love and trust him more. As difficult as it seems to reconcile the final plague with God's good character, when we think about the whole story of the Exodus and put this event in its proper context, we don't just see divine judgment against sin. We also see divine grace. We see that God showed grace upon grace upon grace to Pharaoh in granting him multiple opportunities to repent. But because of Pharaoh's hardness of heart, with the tenth plague, every family across the land suffered the anguish of losing their firstborn sons. Here's another question for you to think about. As Christians, through what lenses are we to view suffering and death? God is sovereign over all things. God redeems and he avenges the suffering of his people. Suffering and death in general are the result of sin in the world. We should make sure that our suffering is due to our faithful living and not the result of disobedience so that we can have opportunities to share the gospel through suffering well in the name of Christ. Well, as God brought death to the homes of unbelieving Egyptians, he brought life and freedom to the believing Israelites. In the story of the Exodus and in other places in Scripture, we see that God often delivers his people through judgment. The Israelites were present in the land when the death fell over it. They witnessed the horror. They heard the cries. They understood exactly what God had spared them from. And they understood that their freedom would come through the terrible judgment all around them. Similarly, our salvation from sin came through Jesus bearing the judgment of our sin that we deserve. Noah was delivered from the flood by the grace as the rain fell in judgment on the people of the earth, crushing the unfaithful, but lifting up the faithful in the ark. Likewise, God spared a faithful remnant, including Daniel, during the destruction of Judah at the hands of Babylon. Judgment for their sin fell upon God's people at the hands of their enemy, but the remnant was preserved, being exiled in chains. God is a gracious Savior. But he is also a just judge. If we want to experience the salvation he offers, we will not find it through our good works or religion. Instead, like the Israelites during the Passover, the only way we will experience God's deliverance is through faith, our full surrender to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That is the choice we must all make. Will we be like Pharaoh and harden our hearts to the Lord despite seeing his grace and goodness? Or will we be like the Israelites, trusting God and seeking the Lord's salvation and finding life through faith in the blood of the spotless Lamb of God? Listen to this quote from Priscilla Schreier. The power of sin was broken at the foot of the cross. We couldn't break it ourselves any more than the children of Israel could negotiate their own liberation pact. The only way they were getting loose from Egypt was for their deliverer to come. In the Old Testament, Yahweh sent Moses to usher his people into free living. And in the New, he sent his son Jesus to offer it to us. Egypt was a multicultural, pluralistic society where it wasn't offensive for the Israelites to worship their God as long as they kept it in their place and didn't force that God upon anyone else. The same is true today. Right? Many in our culture are fine with God, so as long as Christians keep them confined to their homes and places of worship. 
But when, like Moses, believers today proclaim God's authority and declare the exclusivity of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, problems arise. As followers of Christ, we are not called to fight against those around us any more than God called on the Israelites to lead a rebellion against their Egyptian oppressors. Our enemies are not of flesh and blood. Instead, we are to warn those around us of God's coming judgment, remembering that God has spared us from judgment and freed us from sin through His Son, Jesus Christ. To choose at least one of these following options as a way to respond to the truth of God's Word. Because God has spared us from judgment and freed us from sin through His Son, we warn others of the coming judgment and offer the good news of salvation through Jesus, the substitute Lamb, to everyone around us. How will you respond in faith to the good news that God has given His Son as a substitute Lamb for the judgment we rightly deserve? What false gods are common in your community? And how can you and those around you confront those with the gospel? This week, how will you help a family member, a friend, a co-worker, or a neighbor see that he or she is trusting in false gods? Well, thank you so much uh, for your time here uh, in our Bible study today. Uh, if you would do me a favor, uh, please uh, interact with me here on this. Uh, leave a comment. Uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing it, uh, liking it, and also uh, point other people uh, to Central Baptist Facebook page, Facebook uh, slash CBC Maysville. And that way you'll be able to get all of the info, everything that we're putting out online. Hope God blesses you greatly. Uh, let's, uh, let's close in prayer here. Father, you are the one true God, and you made this known with the power and might by which you freed your people from the bondage in Egypt. Thank you for sparing us from your judgment against your enemies by protecting and preserving us through your son's sacrifice. God, help us to point others to Jesus Christ, the true Passover lamb, with the good news of how they can escape the coming judgment. Amen.